News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, with the fourth wave now well underway right across the country, how have Canadians' attitudes towards the spread of COVID-19 and lockdowns and getting back to normal changed during that time? Well, there is exclusive polling from Ipsos for Global News this morning that tracks the change that happened in the Canadian public from July to September and takes a look at how attitudes, well, they differ depending on who Canadians think they are going to vote for. Let's find out more about that. Joining us now is Sebastian Delaire, Managing Director of Ipsos in Quebec. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. So tell me, you were first asking about the fourth wave fears back in July before that actually happened. Are more people worried now that it's here and it's a reality? Yes, that, that's what we're seeing. And, and numbers were already strong in July, to, to be clear. We already had eight and ten Canadians who were worried that the arrival of new variants would delay a ret- uh, return to normal. But now we're up to nine and ten who are concerned about things being delayed. And in, in July, when we asked them if they were worried more generally about the potential of a fourth wave, we were at seven and ten. And now that we asked them again, now, are you concerned about this fourth wave? And we're still uh, around the same at 71% now who, uh, who agree with this. So clearly the level of worry is there. It's a major concern for Canadians. It sure sounds like, and we've been doing this, it feels like forever, but it's been a more than a year and a half of mm-hmm. restrictions. So what did your polling show about how tolerant we are about those restrictions? Well, what we're seeing is a bit of a softening in support. We, we know that throughout the crisis, when things got really bad, Canadians were over, overwhelmingly supportive of strong measures to try to fight the virus. But what we've seen is when we compare to July, we have a decline of six points in, in the proportion of Canadians who, who would support uh, more lockdown measures in light of this fourth wave. So we're, we still have a majority. We're at 63% who would support more lockdown measures. But this has been steadily going down over time uh, as this crisis has been unfolding and going from one wave to another. Did you see differences depending on how old people are? Yes, there are some big differences. And those those gaps are, in fact, growing over time, where we see that younger Canadians are becoming more eager to get their lives back, more resistant to, to stricter measures as time goes on, whereas older Canadians have remained pretty steadfast uh, in their support for stricter measures and are also much more concerned, generally speaking, about the pandemic. Okay, that is interesting then. So I know you've done previous polling on this too, and the pandemic mm-hmm. has always been a top issue for Canadians in the federal election campaign. Now, does that align with what the party leaders and their approaches are in this thinking about COVID right now? Well, we see, and we've seen throughout the campaign that for, for, for example, Aaron O'Toole, his discourse is a little bit different than those of Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh because they're not faced with the same views among their constituents and among conservative voters while the concern is still there and while support for measures is also still there. It's not like it's not present. It's not as intense as for other parties. So Aaron O'Toole has to strike the right balance between wanting to protecting to protect Canadians 
encouraging vaccination, but not being too tough either because a part of his constituents are not too keen on this tougher language. Right. That is so interesting. So would you say, Sebastian, that he probably as a party leader has the trickiest trickiest route to navigate with this issue? Uh, yes, he does, obviously. And, and, and this is why he, he has this. He's trying to have this very positive message about COVID and vaccination and not go down into some of the harder discussions that Justin Trudeau is trying to have on this. And it clearly reflects uh, their respective constituencies. Fascinating stuff. All right. Thank you so much for your time this morning. My pleasure. Sebastian Delaire, who's a managing director of Ipsos Quebec, talking about our attitudes across the country when it comes to dealing with COVID-19. Let me just break down a little bit more of what they found by asking people these questions across the country. So one of the things they asked people is, would you, and this is the question, I would support more lockdown measures if there is or in light of the fourth wave of COVID-19. So that was a simple question. Would you support more lockdown measures? So when they asked people that question back in July, 69% of people said yes. But when they asked people the question in September, so this month, the answer was 63% said yes. So that's a loss of 6% of people. So clearly some people are changing their minds about this. Another interesting one I found is the statement, we should learn to live with active COVID-19 cases as long as hospitals aren't overwhelmed. In July, 67% of people agreed with that statement. Uh, 70% of people now agree with that statement in September. That's an increase there. And then one of the other things I thought was interesting where they asked people, are you worried that new COVID-19 variants will delay things getting back to normal? This in particular is what Sebastian was talking about, that in July, 81% of people said, yeah, they are worried that these new variants are going to delay things getting back to normal. Now in September, 88% say they are worried. So that has really seen a jump. And of course, because now we are in the fourth wave and we are dealing with a variant and we do see the impact of what can happen when COVID-19 is allowed to mutate like that and run amok. It becomes more transmissible. It causes more problems. So you can see why attitudes would be changing on that. Found a way in. Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. On this Monday morning, it's time for us to have a little chat with our Raji Sol. Raji, how does it feel? Having a kindergartner? Yeah. How does it feel to officially be the mother of a kindergartner this morning? Okay, I was sincerely worried. I thought that I was going to be a mess, definitely tearful. I know, so was I. (laughs) Because of COVID, they're doing everything super slowly this year. And so we got to meet the teacher one day. And so I actually got to be in the classroom, look around myself. That was really special because I didn't know that that was going to happen, that that was coming up. Of course, everything's been changing very last minute. And then the next day, my daughter got to go for her first hour. And I had to prepare her because I knew other kids would be, you know, some kids haven't gone to preschool or had much exposure to any kind of group situation uh, with other kids very much over the pandemic. And so I prepared her that there might be some kids that are tearful. And if you are, are, you know, worried or scared, whatever you want to hug mama, go for it. Um, But if you feel like being bold, you go right ahead. Well, she chose bold. She was over the top excited. (laughs) She was like, bye. See you, mom. Yeah. See you later. I'll come back in 13 years. Um, so I, 
as I watched her go, I gave her a big hug. We were just, my husband was with me. We were really excited for her. I watched her go and Simi, she did this super cinematic, slow look back at us over her shoulder while she continued to walk. And Oh my goodness. <laughs> far into the classroom and uh i saw a picture of it afterwards because my husband took a picture of me giving her a hug goodbye before she goes in that made me a bit tearful but this was like way after the fact in the moment just really excited for her and then when we picked her up she said it was the most amazing day and i learned french wow in one day in one really. day wow that's amazing that's all it took well, I'm glad it was good. Immersion. I know yeah, how stressful you. that day can be for so not like I think mainly for parents, right? For kids, they're like, yeah, I'm going to go play with some people. Uh, but parents, totally. I, th- I know, find it really stressful. So good. I'm glad it went well. Thanks. Yeah. And she was uh, good, apparently, with wearing her mask. I heard that she touched it a whole bunch and the teacher just keeps reminding the kids not to. Um, so I'm sure she'll she'll get better at that over time, too. And this speaking of masks and vaccine uh, passports and whatnot, this weekend uh, we went to a few restaurants because it was my husband's birthday. I'm not super comfortable myself being like in the heart of a restaurant, but I'm totally OK with being on a patio. Mm-hmm. And so he'd asked for the patio. And of course, as per usual, I was talking to everybody along the way, and um, including Rushing. hostesses and uh, waitresses <laughs> and waiters, uh, service staff. And you know what everyone told me about what? these vaccine passports? That they are really worried about what's going to come, yeah. what's going to face them this week, and that they don't have preparation to deal with hostile people. Yes, I was just going to say, let's be clear on what they are worried about. They're worried that people are going to be mean and rude. That's totally within our power to take away that worry from them if people would just treat other people with respect. Totally. And at one restaurant, they actually had a huge sign outside, massive. And I thought, oh, what's this? Are they not open? The sign basically said that our service staff are human too. Please show them some respect. And I thought, ooh, it must have taken a lot for them to put that sign yeah, outside. Because especially in the restaurant industry, you know, the customer is always right. And it's so customer oriented. But to now say to customers, you can't do that or you can't behave like that, that's a, that's a, it takes a lot for a restaurant to have to do that. Totally. And I think that over the pandemic, we have gone from this uh, in this together, better together, we can get through this mentality to something a little bit more divisive. And the staff at restaurants, at gyms, these people really need some um, some of that let's get together again <laughs> attitude. I also, oh, I did something funny on the weekend that I never thought I would do again. I accidentally shook someone's hand. Um, <laughs> you know what happened? What? I saw our global colleague, Amadagahi from a distance. I've never met him in person. And as you know, he's an excellent news reporter. I've emailed him before, though. I've emailed him to say, hey, I'm Raji Sohel. I saw your piece. I thought it was incredible because he's, he's just fantastic. He is. And I saw him from a distance. I ran over like a wild fan. Threw my hand out and said, Amadagahi, I'm Raji Sohal. He put his hand out and we shook. And as soon as I was shaking his hand, I realized, oh my goodness, I haven't done this in two, almost two years, you know, and I'm not supposed to. So I pulled out the spray and uh, oh, the enthusiasm. My yes. But Simi, I thought that like my body language had forgotten what 
a handshake was. I never thought I was going to do that again so easily. I thought, you know, when the first time I handshake out of this uh, pandemic, it's going to be really awkward. No, uh, it just goes to show you like how instinctive and also just like how desperate I think other people are too, probably not just me, um, for things to go back to normal. And I, and I bring that story up because in the, the realm of the restaurant business, I feel like people who have worked in restaurants during this time have dealt with so oh, really much have. and I, they really deserve a break. They're happy to be back in business. Can we all just let them do their jobs? I agree wholeheartedly and I could not agree more on that because these are they, they want to stay open and the way for them to stay open is to have certainty about uh, making sure the people who come there are healthy and stay healthy and this is a way to help them do that and I don't know why people are taking it out on restaurants. It just doesn't make any sense to me um, and I really hope that all the protests and stuff they're talking about don't happen today but Raji, I think it's the handshakes thing I love because I've had a moment like that too where somebody goes to handshake and we stop and we go, oh right no, we're not. We're not doing that. Mm. But it just does show you, though, we are social creatures by nature, right? And I think Absolutely. people we crave that connection with people. Yeah, and there have been so many times where I've wanted to some hug someone goodbye, and then just done that awkward just foot shuffle in front of them. <laughs> Instead, being like, okay, well, see you later. Hopefully soon you'll be able to do that. Thanks for that, Raji. Thanks. This is Mornings with Simi. BC's vaccine card system starts today. But is it possible to come up with a compromise for people who face legitimate barriers when it comes to getting the vaccine? You've heard of the Pivot Legal Society. Well, they continue to raise concerns, say the system fails to account for those who do have legitimate reasons for not getting fully vaccinated. So do we need to have exemptions in place? But do we for a system that doesn't even apply across the board? I mean, there are still a lot of things that you can do without having to show your vaccine card, such as grocery shopping, haircuts, banking, go to the mall. All of that does not require showing your vaccine card. Well, to talk more about this issue of the system, joining us now is Dr. Brian Conway, medical director and infectious diseases specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Dr. Conway, thanks for being back with us. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so what do you think about this today? BC, is BC moving in the right direction on this? Absolutely. We live in a world of COVID in terms of discretionary activities. Access to them needs to be regulated and favor vaccinated individuals, especially when we're talking about significant number of people spending significant time indoors. So I think this is what this is recognizing. The rollout will not be smooth, but it really is the step that we need to take in a world of COVID. And why do you say the rollout will not be smooth? Is that just experience tells you that? Well, just speaking personally, trying to download my vaccine card was not as uh, straightforward as I might have liked. I had to engage the help of my 16-year-old daughter. So I think... Didn't we all? Yes. uh, (laughs) I think that others will have similar issues. Some people don't have photo ID. Some people don't have smartphones. And I think that some people don't yet understand the whole concept. So I think this week, we need to be patient with each other, but it is a step in the right direction. I do wonder as well if there is a misperception out there, Dr. Conway, of what this applies to and what it doesn't apply to. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. I think this is for discretionary activities. We cannot regulate access or limit access for things that are essential to life. And it does not apply to these things. This is for the things that we do uh, 
that we that we can uh, still survive very well without doing. And that's what the card applies to. And it really is meant to regulate a specific aspect of our lives, namely when we go indoors with large numbers of people, we know that's how COVID spreads. And if all we have is vaccinated individuals in that space, the risk of spreading COVID is much, much lower. So I think that's what this is trying to recognize and enshrine in our day-to-day lives. So if we know this is for non-essential activities, I mean, do we need to put a lot of exemptions in place? Absolutely not. The reason, there's only five reasons why a person isn't vaccinated. They didn't get around to it. They don't think it's safe. They don't think it's effective. They don't think they need it or they don't want it. And I think it's the they don't want it group that we think is fairly small that is the most problematic. With the others, if you put enough work in, we will be able to get our vaccination rates very high, quite well above 90%, I do believe. So there really is no need for exemptions. Yeah, so what do you mean that if we put enough work in, what kind of work? Well, so far, I think our vaccination program has done very well, but it has clearly plateaued. If we had kept up the highest vaccination rates that we achieved in late June and early July, we would be well into the mid-80s fully vaccinated. We have gone down about 85% in the number of people that are vaccinated on a day-to-day basis. These vaccathons, vax at the beach, vax at the park, they didn't work as well as they had been expected to work. So we need to be more innovative. We need to, we need to make the vaccines widely available in clinics and offices and places where people are just going to go in, ask their questions or walk in, get their vaccine and, and, and so on. And that's the piece that we haven't done. That's the missing piece that's going to give the vaccine card more of its value. People are going to seek the vaccine card. We're going to make it easy for them to get it. And this is probably the way to do it. Right. But there are groups like, you know, the Disability Alliance who say this is difficult for them because they're saying there are people who can't get vaccinated because of their medical conditions. There are very few medical conditions that really contraindicate vaccine administration. It really is only allergies to some of the components, severe reactions to previous vaccines. When people have certain medical conditions and they say that they can't get vaccinated, what it really is is a vaccine might be less effective in those individuals than in others. Other countries have gone to three-dose regimens in these kinds of individuals. So it isn't so much that there's a medical reason for them not to vaccinate. There's a medical reason for us to do it differently. So does that mean that they should? these are conversations that they should be having with their doctors, should they not? Absolutely. And, 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 and if not their doctor, their doctor can consult with a content expert who can go through all of this. So my best advice to someone who hasn't been vaccinated is step up to the plate, come and ask your questions. No one will force you to be vaccinated. That's not how we're going to do it. But we will answer your questions and help move towards a decision that I think will help you and help us all. How long do you think it's going to take? Like, are we watching those statistics? Are more people getting vaccinated as a result of this system? It is slowly going up. It is just, we were in Canada as a whole, we were at 650,000 vaccines at our peak in late June, early July. A few days, 10 days ago, we were at 75,000. We were just above 125,000 nationwide late last week. So it's getting better. But if we could do it once, if there is a time when in Canada we could vaccinate 650,000 people in a day, then we could still do it right now. And if we did that, 
we would clear the backlog of people who are waiting for their second shots in like four days. So I think that's really the kind of effort that's needed. The current system doesn't seem to be generating those numbers, so the system has to change. We have enough vaccine, and we now know that this vaccine that was supposedly very fragile can be in a fridge for 30 days, a regular fridge for 30 days. So I think we have all of the tools at our disposal to get those vaccination rates high, which is an important tool to help us live productively in the world of COVID. So what do you think is going to happen in the next few weeks then, Dr. Conway? Do you think this will be the nudge that some people need? I think that as people realize that if they are unvaccinated, that there are certain things that they like to do, not that they need to do, that they like to do that are no longer accessible to them, that will certainly nudge the people that haven't gotten around to getting vaccinated to get vaccinated. And I'm hopeful that it will also nudge the people that have questions about safety and about efficacy or people who come and tell me, well, I don't get the flu shot ever and I never get the flu. Well, this is different and let me explain to you why it is different. So if we can move all of those people into the vaccinated column, that will not only help them, but it will help us all control the numbers and get back towards COVID normal, which is what we really want to do as quickly as possible. Yes, we do. This has worked elsewhere, hasn't it? I was just reading an article this morning about how in France, uh, they took a gamble leadership did there doing this, but it worked for them. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, it's very interesting, they said you can't go into a bar or a pub or go out to a cafe unless you're vaccinated. They ran to the vaccination stations. I think we need to understand amongst ourselves, if we want to go see the Canucks, Take that example. For those, uh, apologies to those of you who are listening who aren't hockey fans. But if you want to go see the Canucks, you need to be vaccinated. And if it's ever going to be anywhere near full, we have to get vaccination rates much higher than they are now. So I think these are the kinds of things that are going to strike a chord, that's going to resonate, I think, with everyone. If we want to do all of these things, we have to be vaccinated. And I think that's the kind of discussion that hasn't necessarily been had in the, in the, that I have heard anyway in a convincing way and that needs to occur. Right, and that's what's going to happen over the next few weeks. People are going to realize, oh, I only, I only need it for certain things? Then I, it's not that big of a deal. Well, the other thing that they might realize is, you know what, if we want to go to a restaurant, to go to a restaurant, we need to be vaccinated. They're not letting me into my gym unless I'm vaccinated. There's all sorts of other things. I want to go to this wedding, I need to be vaccinated. So people are going to understand that Of course, you can go buy your groceries, go see your doctor and go do essential activities. You need to be vaccinated. The other thing that's going to develop is that certain workplaces will not be accessible to the unvaccinated. So if you want to keep your job in the way you have it now, you will need to be vaccinated. So I think these is as people think things through as to what their lives can be in the coming months, the best lives that they can have. It will be vaccinated, not unvaccinated. So I think for each individual, there may be some some way of thinking that's going to move them towards this. And I'm very hopeful that that will occur. But for that to occur, we have to have that discussion much more explicitly than has occurred up till now. All right, Dr. Conway, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre, talking about the launch of the vaccine card in B.C. This is Mornings with Simi. One week.
That's where we're at right now. One week left in this federal election campaign. Today, also the last day of advanced voting. If you are interested in doing that, I did it on the weekend. It worked great. Easy peasy. A little bit of a lineup for me. But you know what? It's been kind of hit and miss. I'm hearing from people that they had no lineup. They popped in and out. And others who said, yeah, they had to wait. It was about 20 minutes, but that's fine. Tell me about your experience. If you did that on the weekend, Simi at cknw.com. But let's talk about the campaign trail for this last week. Joining us now is Global News National online journalist, Amanda Connolly. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. So let's talk about this last weekend of the campaign. What would you say the focus was on the weekend? What was talked about a lot? Yeah, I think we're kind of getting a little bit of a hint here of what we're going to see over the coming weeks. Certainly a heavy focus on affordability, that kind of cost of living issue for Canadians. And that that really is what I'm looking for. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for to see how it plays out over the coming days here. We know that that is such a huge issue for so many Canadians uh, across the country here. And really, that is the message that I think we're going to be hearing the parties kind of hammering home their vision for over the coming days as they really kind of get the, the pedal to the metal here in a sense to try and lock in any of those gains and and push forward ahead of uh, vote uh, election day on September 20th. Did you get the sense as well that for the Conservatives anyway, that there was a little bit more defense being played? Lots of questions to Aaron O'Toole about, you know, his position on vaccine mandates and candidates of his who don't have to say whether or not they are vaccinated. Certainly. Yeah, we certainly saw that, I think. And we're going to continue to see that over the coming week here. We really um, had been, if you're you know, listeners were watching the election debate on Thursday evening here. This was really a heavy focus for the Liberals when they were attacking Aaron O'Toole, particularly about his pledge to kind of hit 90% vaccination across the country. And the, the questioning here really focusing on, well, how are you going to know if you hit that if you don't know who is vaccinated and who's not, particularly uh, with even your own candidates, right? And so that that is one that has continued to really dog him throughout the campaign. Uh, I expect we'll continue to, uh, continue to dog him here as the race heats up and these final days. The Liberals, of course, are looking for any issue that they are able to kind of drive home the differences between themselves and the Conservatives to voters. Again, so much at stake here, particularly mm-hmm. for the Liberals as the incumbent government right now. And they're really looking to find an issue that will kind of propel people both out to uh, the polls to actually vote and get that voter turnout and also make it clear that uh, make or really kind of convince voters who are who are heading out there to take the ballot for them and not for, for example, the NDP or the Greens. Right. So we know how tight that race is. So do we have an idea, Amanda, of where the different party leaders will be over the next week? Because that tells us a lot about what their internal party polling is telling them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're, we're certainly seeing that today with a heavy focus on Ontario and BC as well. There, of course, is kind of a saying in politics that Ontario decides which party will form government and Quebec decides if it will be a minority or a majority government. So again, expect a very heavy focus on Ontario, really particularly around the Toronto area, greater Toronto area, that 905 full of so many ridings uh, that, that are going to be key to any party looking to form government. Again, Vancouver as well, BC plays an increasingly prominent role in deciding who will form government here over the last couple of election campaigns as well. So certainly keep an eye out for the leaders and end candidates really kind of campaigning hard around Vancouver and, and kind of the lower mainland area there. Um, and again, really kind of uh, also moving into Quebec as they're looking to kind of shore up votes there and, and beef up that presence on the ground. So it's going to be a lot of travel back and forth, certainly for the leaders. And, and as you mentioned there, indicative for sure of both where they think that they can they can make gains and also yeah. where they might need a little bit of extra attention to shore up that support. Absolutely. All right, Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi.
If you go to sit down in a restaurant or a bar starting, well, this morning, you will need to show your vaccine card. Now, as if that wasn't enough for these establishments to worry about, right, dealing with the whole rollout and the process, there are also concerns out there that some people might try to sabotage these restaurants and bars today to protest this whole thing. So let's find out how these businesses are coping with all of this. Joining us now is Jeff Guinard, Executive Director of Able BC. That's BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. All right. And stressful day, I would imagine, for a lot of the places that you work with. Yeah, I mean, the industry sort of bracing itself for today, right? I mean, we, we don't really know how today is going to go, obviously. And uh, we understand people have a lot of questions, and we'll, we'll do our best to, to offer exemplary service today. And I, and I do think most British Columbians are, are on side and are going to work with us. But we already know over the weekend, you would not believe the amount of insanity and threats some of our businesses have offered. And it's, it's quite scary for a lot of people going to work today. Uh, and some of the things people are threatening are just completely unacceptable. So that, that's where industry is coming from. Oh, man, like on top of everything else, these are, the, you know, oh, six yeah. months ago, it was all about save restaurants and bars. And this is how people have done, are acting now. Yeah, here's the thing, right? So the process is going to be quite simple. All we're asking for is you to show something you've downloaded onto your phone, which is just an image, honestly. It's not even an app. We're not collecting any personal information, anything. It's just you show us a, a green or blue check mark and your identification, which, if, you know, if you go into a licensed establishment, we often check ID anyway. Or you can show us your vaccine card you've ordered from the government or the, the little paper card you got when you get your double vaccination. So the process is quite simple from there. But for us, it's, it's how that process is being implemented. We know on the weekend, people were threatening, calling up bars and restaurants and threatening to follow their staff home and assault them for what? implementing this requirement. And that is not just stupid, it's cruel, right? We're in a situation where this is, we're simply following the law, right? And this is an industry that has been on its knees for the past 18 months, breaking even or losing money every single day in operations. And our staff are exhausted, right? And understandably so. We've stepped up over and over again, and I know our staff are ready to do it again today. Uh, and we're going to really appreciate some kindness and patience from our, our customers because we're, we're doing our best among a difficult situation. But anybody who comes in and thinks they're going to protest in our establishments, we're, we're simply calling the police or asking you to leave. Okay, so that's good to know. That. Are there any other measures that are being put in place, Jeff, to protect staff? Well, again, we're hoping the majority of folks are going to have our backs on this. And I appreciate customers you know, understanding that we're just doing what we have to do. But I know some places... Uh, to protect their staff and to protect their businesses, are hiring security for the next while as well. Now, we hope that'll be unnecessary, and uh, you know, some people are just taking out their frustrations. You know how easy it is to, to email somebody or you know, just uh, ask them on social media um, and work from the comfort of your home. But if, you, if that's your attitude, please order takeout and, uh, and stay at home and be as angry as you want. Or if you feel the need to protest, an appropriate way for that is to you know, write to your MLA, right? Direct the frustration and anger at where it's supposed to go. Right, but uh, yelling at us because we're implementing this requirement, that's that's like the, the drunk at last call who doesn't want to leave, right? We don't have an option on this. We're doing our jobs here. So um, given what is going on there today, there's also these rumors about this other kind of protest of ordering food and then not showing up to pick it up, thereby costing businesses money. How, how can How is that going to be combated? What are you trying to do if you're doing something like that? I mean, do you think it's the business's fault that we're implementing these orders? Right? It, it's it's both stupid and cruel for that business. So we would just encourage our members, if you're ordering takeout, I mean, do whatever you want. We're going to take your credit card information over the phone and make you pay for it. Right? So we're not going to put up with anything like that. Um, you know, these businesses have been, as I said, breaking even or losing money for the past 18 months. 
And we've asked British Columbians to step up and support us over and over again, and they have. So we, we trust the majority of folks are, are on side with this. Right? But when people have said they're going to do these things over the weekend, we're, we're kind of shocked about it, right? I mean, what in the world does a small business that employs you know, 20 or 30 people in your community have to do with your particular frustrations about you know, vaccine passports or vaccinations or masks or anything like that? I mean, we're, we're all on the same page here trying to get out of this pandemic. So the, what we need people to do today is take a breath, right? And if you want to protest, and you can go carry a sign on the street, you can write to your MLA, but... You know, yelling at a, a frontline service worker, right, particularly in the, in the hospitality industry, in the host of a restaurant, it's it's a young 20, 25-year-old man or woman who are typically getting their start and have been trying to do something difficult for a while. They, they're, they're not they're not the, the place to protest right. in that environment. Right? Do you think, Jeff, that's the best way then for restaurants and bars to deal with this, that if somebody wants to order takeout, take their credit card information and process it right there while you have them on the phone? Yeah, absolutely, right? And that's pretty normal. I mean, you, you order pizza somewhere. I mean, you typically are if you're ordering something online, from, you know, one of those third-party deliveries like uh, Skip the Dishes or DoorDash or Uber. I mean, we're, we're taking your credit card information. So that's you know, that's not something unusual for it. Um, and, and businesses are also spending today trying to figure out how this is going to work, right? I mean, in the hospitality industry, everything is a conversation with customers. So we're going to go through this for the first time today as well. I mean, some businesses are just downloading an app um, this morning, and that app is just going to be used to scan your, your vaccine passport to ensure it's accurate. Uh, or we're just going to be visually inspecting it. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll work out the kinks in that system to try and provide as, as good a service as we can. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're concerned that people are, are going to be misdirecting their frustrations at us. So we're doing things like charging in advance or, I know, some places are hiring additional security, which I, I hope that's not needed. Um, and we've also reached out directly to law enforcement to let them know that you know we, we may be making some calls today, uh, and we hope we can work together on it quickly. And uh, you know, think about what you're doing. You protest there, and we call law enforcement. Now somebody's in a car accident, or there's some actual crime happening, and the police are not available because yeah. they're dealing with with an idiot in our establishments, right? And that's not fair. Did you get a good response though from police when reaching out? Yeah, they're they're diff- having difficulties as well. I mean, the RCMP has allocated hundreds of officers to wildfire response, and particularly in smaller communities. I mean, they're they're under resourced as well, and uh, of course they're going to call uh, or respond to calls in a priority fashion. But you know, if there's a car accident or an actual emergency or something going on on the streets, you know, they'll get to us when we get to us, right? So we we know that we're we're probably out there alone, um, at least for those initial interactions. The good news is the hospitality industry has a lot of experience dealing with, uh, with difficult patrons. Uh, we, we've also, you know, we've all got our, our master's degrees in COVID protocols at this point, right? You sure we've do, been yeah. Doing this for 18 months. So, uh, you know, and we do trust the majority yeah. of British Columbians will have our back on this. But, uh, yeah, if, if people think that it's an appropriate place to come and yell at us, I mean, as I said, that, that's stupid and that's cruel. All right, Jeff, listen, thank you so much and good luck. My pleasure. Have a great day. This is Mornings with Simi. Restaurants are understandably nervous with the vaccine card going into effect this morning and also all these rumours of sabotage out there on social media. Now, for more on how some are coping with that, we're joined now by Brad McLeod, owner and managing partner of Sea Lovers Fish and Chips. Brad, thank you for joining us. Hi, Simi. Glad to be here. How are you feeling today? A bit nervous about this? Um, yeah, nervous and kind of astonished by the response. Uh, that some of the public, I mean, not all, most of our customers, I'm sure, are very happy to follow this, but that people out there think that we chose to do this, that this is something that we could choose to opt in or opt out of, and so on. Like the emails, examples I sent you yesterday, we sent out a group email to our Sea Lovers Club members, which is about 40,000 customers, 
And within about 15 minutes, I'd received over 100 emails back saying they will never partake at our restaurant again. Though they they're disgusted at us and all kinds of profanities I can't even repeat, uh, making out like we're some terrible group of people and how we've let everybody down in that. And like this is our choice to do this. Oh, and Brad, it's, I, it's just mind boggling. I was shocked when I read through some of those examples that you sent there. And it must have been so disappointing for you because you thought, wait a minute, well, we're the same place and we're just trying to stay safe here. Yes. I mean, I, I was, I've been, I spent 40 years in the service industry. I was, when the emails started coming in and, and I usually enjoy reading emails from our customers. Uh, they're usually positive. Sometimes they're not because we've made mistakes in the service industry. You've got young staff. And that, and we need to correct them in that. But when I started reading these, I, I've 40 years of business. I just, I just couldn't believe it. And I sent you the nicer ones. Oh, I didn't boy. send you the bad ones. There's lots I wouldn't even send to somebody. I just couldn't believe it. It was beyond belief. What kind of a difference though, Brad, can, does this certainty make? Like being able to know that the people you have coming in are vaccinated. What does that do for the certainty of your business? Um, I believe it's good. I, I don't know. And that, and I'm interested to see today how the general public handles this and what happens. I had some emails where people are just saying, I'm just staying away until all this is over now because they don't want to be a deal with it. Um, I hope it's a positive thing and I hope it gives um, customers that are vaccinated, like in the lower mainland, we're 85% first shots. And I hope that gives the security of those customers and they'll be coming in. But I never believe this is what we would get happening i just boggled my mind what do you say to those customers brad if anything i just say to people i mean we don't choose to do this this is a government mandated um policy we have to follow we don't have a choice we have to do it if we want to be open for business we have to do it if they have a problem with this directed at the people that make the decisions okay the health department the government's John Horgan, Ministry of Health, uh, and that they're the ones who made the decision. And whether you agree with it or don't agree with it or however, we have to follow this. If I want to be in business today, I have to do this or I'll be out of business. So, Brad, how are you implementing this? Like, what has it taken to implement this at your restaurants? um, We've spent time with our staff. We're going to be seeing how it goes today. We've got management in all of our locations. We're going to go through this. I believe most people have heard about it, are going to be prepared for it. Um, I know some people are having trouble downloading their card and different things like that. I've tried to get the, the scannable app, tried it last night. I couldn't get it to work on my phone. Some of my staff have got it working this morning. We're just going to go step by step and we're going to take it as it goes and that. But I, I was just astonished at the response. We sent out this email to our Sea Lovers Club members to let people know, because a lot of people don't understand, that you can still come in and get takeout. That's not, you don't need a vaccine card or any proof for that. It's just for sit down dining customers. So we sent this out as information to our customers to let them know this. And the response I got back, I was just astonished. So So we're ready for it. Our staff are ready for it. um, And we're just going to have to take it one step at a time. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about it this morning, just saying like, what we need today is some kindness, right? And some respect for people in the service industry. Is that the message you want to put out there? Yes, definitely. And and people understand, we are just following no different than the mask rules or dine-in, take-out uh, only rules. These are rules put in place by the government. We have to follow them. It's not our choice. 
Well, Brad, I would say it makes me more inclined to come and eat some fish and chips today or eat something at a restaurant today. I hope that. I would like to see all those customers that are happy that they know that the people they're sitting beside are vaccinated. I hope they come out and support us this week uh, very much. All right. Well, listen, best of luck and keep us up to date on how it goes, okay? I will. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you, Brad. That's Brad McLeod, the owner and managing partner of Sea Lovers Fish and Chips. Shocked. Sent out a, a just an information update to their 40,000 kind of newsletter customers, letting them know, hey, you know what? If you want takeout, this vaccine card thing doesn't impact you. But if you want to sit down, yeah, we're going to have to take a look at your vaccine card. Not a big deal, right? Uh, he was shocked by the vitriol that he got back from, he said, about 100 plus people who emailed back right away just awful things. I saw some of the emails, just just terrible. Like there's no need for that with people. And yet, you know, he said he could not believe what he was seeing out there. Restaurants are worried. Servers are worried today. If you know somebody in your family who's a restaurant owner, bar owner, works at a bar, works as a server at a restaurant, they need extra special respect, love, attention today because they may have to deal with, well, a lot of unreasonable and cruel people. Let's show some respect to people who work in those industries today. They are going to need it. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, if you're looking to cast your vote ahead of the actual election day, which is one week from today, then you better listen up. We've got some information for you this morning. Joining us now is Andrea Moran, who's the spokesperson with Elections Canada. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. How has the advanced voting been going? Well, it's it's going as it usually goes, which means Friday is the big day. I think I think everybody thinks they're going to beat the rush, which of course creates the rush, right? <laughs> so so uh, Friday, Friday is the day um, that we have some estimated numbers for at this point, but they're only national numbers. But it's looking like about 1.3 million Canadians voted on Friday. And that is up from the 2019 election. Okay, but it's important to note then for advanced voting, today's the last day, right? Yes, today is the last day. There's been uh, 12 hours of voting, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today. Um, Yesterday was quieter than the other two days, and um, we are not sure what to expect today. There may be more people um, at the polls at those peak times, you know, um, lunchtime and on their way home from work. But remember that the polls are open right from 9 until 9. Okay, and now if people don't want to vote on voting day, what are the other options available to them? Okay, um, there are two options left. Um, one is, uh, after today, one is to vote by mail. And, um, of course, time is getting very tight for that. We need to get your application in to an Elections Canada office by 6 p.m. tomorrow. That's Tuesday, September 14th. So we have to have your application. Now, you can apply and upload your ID right online. So that is probably your best choice. The other choice is to go in and apply in an Elections Canada office. But you can't just phone and sort of order a mail-in ballot. We need that application with your ID. Okay. Has there been a lot of take-up of that? There has, yeah. Not quite um, what we were expecting. Uh, We knew 
that there would be a lot more interest this um, this election than in times past. We've had mail-in voting in Canada for about 30 years, but people really haven't used it unless they knew they were going to be away or something like that. So um, in the last election, there were only about 5,000 uh, people across the country who voted by mail-in ballot. And this year we have well over 600,000 people who have applied already. Wow, that is a lot then. Were you expecting more people to try that? Uh, we thought so. Well, we weren't We weren't sure. So we decided we had to prepare for a real deluge. So we were prepa- we are prepared to accept up to 5 million um, mail-in ballots. So, so we're ready, whatever happens. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Are you able to figure out, like, where are people requesting the mail-in ballots? Are there certain writings that are more popular than others? Yes, absolutely. And, and anyone can go on uh, Elections Canada website and take a look at this, follow this uh, ballot tracker. And you just get to it by going to elections.ca and then hitting the vote-by-mail link right off the homepage. And then there's a, there's a little box to click that says data on special ballots. And that brings up all the information about how many ballots and what kind of ballots are being requested. And then there's a top 10 list. And right now, British Columbia has nine of the top 10. <laughs> are you kidding me? That's a lot. No, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Victoria's number one. Okay, so people out here, I think maybe because we were used to it more, because we did it during the provincial election last year, that some people maybe have decided that they just like it. Exactly, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see whether this this continues at a time that we're not in a pandemic election. Okay, so if people want to vote prior to Election Day, then tomorrow at 6 o'clock is their deadline. Is that 6 p.m. our time here on the West Coast? Yes, it's 6 p.m. local time. The other option is if you're going to go into an Elections Canada office, if you're thinking I could go and apply for my mail-in ballot in an Elections Canada office, you can also vote right in that um, Elections Canada office. You can vote in any Elections Canada office across the country up to 6 p.m. local time on uh, Tuesday, September 14th. Okay, that is good to know. Voting by mail or voting in person at the returning office. Those are your two options after after tonight's poll closes at 9 p.m. Okay. I also wanted to ask about polling stations because I've had some emails from people asking about, are there not as many polling stations as there usually are during an election? Um, that's right. Their, their perception is right. And they're in different places than they're commonly used uh, used to. Uh, that's because of the pandemic and some of the health and safety uh, measures that are being taken. So the, the best way to ensure a safe election this time was to find a bigger location that would really allow us to maintain that social distancing in the polls. So what we're doing is we're putting more polls, and those are the, the little divisions that um, a few square blocks that people are divided into and, and your numbers on the table at the election site. Right. More of those in one spot, in one um, location, and fewer locations that may be smaller, cramped, and, and have tight corners and, and hallways and things that you have to use to get to them. So these are more 
wide open spots. For instance, the roundhouse at um, in Yale Town. That's a that's an example of a a big open right. gymnasium with good access. So I found that too, because I did my advanced voting on Friday, where you, it's very specific, like your number is actually there. It's like the exact table that you have to go to. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. that's good. So have you been getting a lot of questions about this, Andrea? Um, yeah, people are, are wondering what it's going to be like and how, why it's different. And uh, yeah, so I think, I think people understand. And, and when they see the setup, of these unfamiliar places, I think it really becomes clear that um, this is done for health and safety reasons. But it also tends to move just as quickly as a, a smaller location because we have um, we have as many places for you to vote, but it's just all in in one particular over um, arching. Right. Well, thank yeah. you very much for explaining it all to us this morning. That was fascinating. Appreciate your time. Thank you. That is Andrea Morantz, Elections Canada spokesperson, explaining this whole process to us. Uh, by the way, we were talking about mail-in ballots, and she said nine out of the top ten most popular writings for mail-in ballots are in BC. Uh, Victoria is number one. Uh, Saanich Gulf Islands and also Courtney, Alberni, North Island Powell River, Nanaimo Ladysmith, Vancouver Centre, Esquimalt, Saanich Souk, and Vancouver Granville are all of the BC locations that are in the top 10 for requesting mail-in ballots. And if you want one of those, you have until 6 o'clock tomorrow to request it. And you can do that online at elections.ca, or you can request it in person at your local Elections Canada office. But if you don't advance vote by 9 o'clock tonight or request that mail-in ballot by 6 o'clock tomorrow, then you'll have to wait for voting day, which is one week from today. Whew, okay, lots of information there.